Welcome to this week's episode of the Human Enhancement Podcast. I'm really excited uh, to have Serge Faguet, who's a super experienced entrepreneur, but also uh, one of the most, you know, I I would say rigorous biohackers that have really come and, and, and published his results. So if you haven't seen his blog post yet, he spent $200,000 uh, to just track essentially, you know, the, the 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 whole plethora of biometrics that one could track, and has been optimizing and and experimenting with a number of interventions, and I'm excited to have you to here to talk about it. Welcome, Serge. Really awesome to have you here. Cool. Thank you, Jeff. I'm excited to talk to, uh, yeah. to you guys about this. Yeah. So before getting into the biohacking side, I think you have a very interesting entrepreneurial story. So you funded a couple companies, including Ostrovac, which is my, you know, I'm not familiar with the Russian market too much, but it's like essentially like the Russian Airbnb type of a type of, I'd a say more business. of a, more of an Expedia slash uh, booking.com. Yeah. But yeah, I've been uh, an entrepreneur for, for a while. Uh, I started a couple companies. I started Talkbox, which was an early video communication player that Sequoia funded and that um, uh, then Telefonica acquired. And uh, then off, off, I, after that started uh, Ostrovok, which is now the largest online travel company in Russia. It's doing like $500 million in gross turnover. It's even up profitable, got 400 people working on there. And now I'm working at a on a... Um, uh, new AI company in Silicon Valley that's still stealth, so we aren't quite ready to talk about it yet. Yeah. But 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 we'll have you back on when you're ready to launch. So in okay. in the midst of you know building these technology companies, how did you get into biohacking? Because I think you know a lot of my conversations, a lot of engineers or people with engineering training tend to gravitate towards applying some of those principles of the human body. And that's how personally I got involved and interested in biohacking. Curious to hear your journey. So partially, I grew up on science fiction. My um, family are all engineers. My grandfather was a famous scientist in the Soviet Union. And um, so when you grow up on science fiction, you kind of expect that a lot of these interesting technologies to do with uh, biohacking will happen at um, some point. And really, the way I started thinking of this isn't... So a lot of people seem to start from, I want to extend my life. And I actually started from, essentially, I want an unfair competitive advantage. So this is a phrase that used to be more popular in Silicon Valley until uh, it became a bit politically incorrect. But, you know, every VC used to want, hey, what's your unfair competitive advantage? Right. And I thought, hey. Is it unfair? Know, is it is it not PC now? Is, is everyone trying to play nice? Is that, yeah, is that really I guess true? Now it's just, <laughs> I guess now it's just competitive advantage. But okay. uh, it, it seemed like, you know, everything that we do in our lives on a daily basis, whether it's to do with social life or with making money or with everything else, it's dependent on our own internal mental states. So it's dependent on the energy we have today, on not being sick today, because if you're sick, you cannot like do things very well. You cannot think, you don't have the energy to go anywhere and do anything. Uh, on confidence, on uh, you know, being um, happy and in a good mood and not being depressed on a particular day, and all those things are ultimately biochemical. So it seems like they have some basis in external reality, but they really don't. These are mental states. And I started out kind of wanting to get more of all of this 
because it helps me uh, become a better business person and uh, progress towards uh, towards my goals. And uh, what I do now, you know, for those that haven't read the articles, is basically so what I did is I optimized sleep, I optimized my nutrition, so things like keto, sugar, fasting, all the things that you guys are really fans of, which is which is great. Um, exercise, like high intensity intermittent uh, interval training, mental health, so you know, meditation, I do a lot of and love it. Psychotherapy, I think, is one of the best ways to spend uh, money. And radical transparency. So in my article, I do things like talk about I don't know, my sex habits. And um, I think actually a lot of mental health, which is a large portion of your overall health, is about being true to yourself and not feeling constrained um, by kind of social uh, pressures, I, I, I guess. And then I also, the more, the thing that people are usually more excited about is that I did thousands of tests. I take about a dozen different prescription drugs, even though I don't meet the clinical criteria for any of them. Although I, I do this under uh, medical supervision and a lot of supplements. So some of the more colorful things I do are hormone optimization, antidepressants, lithium, MDMA as a tool to become more extroverted, which actually has had a wonderful effect uh, on my uh, ability to connect with people, which we can uh, talk about. <laughs> That's and, interesting. Uh, so how did you, yeah. so obviously you went from, I think most people would say, yes, all the goals of not just living longer, but being more productive, especially in a world that's more and more cognitive focused, that are optimizing our mind is super important. So how did you go from, yes, that is a good idea and starting to dabble with meditation and fasting and diet and exercise to, all right, I'm going to take a bunch of crazy compounds and, you know, pseudo illegal compounds and illegal compounds uh, to, 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 to optimize myself. Like what was that journey? So it was a journey. I, I think the important thing is to start with the why. So um, it's, um, I, I feel like I in general, the thing I really want long term is to kind of go into the singularity, uh, merge with artificial intelligence, become a post-human, I don't know, post-human god compared to where we are, uh, Today, where we yes. are now. And uh, that's always been my dream. And I find that the value in that is so, so significant that I decided I really want to invest um, more and more time and resources into finding ways to work better so I have more resources that I can invest into that as well as to uh, to improve uh, my health. And it's been a journey of over about five years. And I just started doing things very, very gradually. I mean, this is going to sound weird from a guy who takes uh, all this stuff, but I'm pretty paranoid. So even with metformin, which is a very benign drug, yeah. I actually, before taking it, I asked probably four or five different doctors who didn't know about each other, whether this was okay and reasonable. And I still kind of thought about it for several months before yeah. I started doing it. So this all kind of grew over the years and together with doing a lot of, um, a lot of testing and seeing some results. So I shared some of this in, in the article. Yeah. My, for example, my body fat uh, went from about 27% to about 10%. And that's, you know, you look into the mirror and you see, you feel better, you feel more energetic. Yeah, you see like the it's six a, pack abs. I mean, I think that's a massive yeah. transformation. It's massive. so, it's very... It's, and this is know, probably done on a DEXA scan, right? So this is like a proper you know, body composition test. Actually, so I only partially did those on a DEXA okay. scan because we didn't have 
regular access. We mostly did it with calipers um, because it was just hard to go to a um, facility, which isn't an exact method. But if you do the same thing, you can kind of see uh, the directional uh, trend uh, reasonably well. So and then occasionally I would discover some very interesting new thing. Like I have um, an MTHFR mutation which makes my B12 metabolism much worse. And when I started taking large doses of B12, I just felt like my anger management issues dissipated and life just became kind of better. And I was like, wow, if I can just, you know, do a silly genetics test and, uh, you know, take a supplement and in this targeted way, and I also saw some objective metrics like homocysteine going way uh, way down. Right. Uh, when 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 you see that, that really motivates you to say, okay, what else can I do? And then I started uh, over time meeting uh, some of the very sophisticated uh, doctors in the space, and I they asked me not to name uh, their names because obviously you know what we do is unorthodox. Right. But um, uh, they're guys who are very well respected and known uh, in in the space with excellent education, etc. Yeah. And uh, I constantly would ask them, hey, so where can we push the envelope further? So I would come to my psychotherapist and say, I want to never have uh, days of bad mood. Because occasionally, you know, once a month or um, for a day or two, you have this like crappy mood and you don't yeah. want to do anything. And you right. think, hey, I optimized my entire days to be more productive. But then I have this crappy day, which I don't enjoy, and where I get nothing done. How can we get rid of those? And we started and kind of escalated. So first, we kind of became much more aggressive with meditation, which helped. Uh, Then we started doing things like lithium microdoses. And then we went to SSRIs, which, by the way, are just awesome. So, you know, this is not like we do this in a stupid um, way. But we monitor the markers. We monitor the um, genomics. And, uh, you know, for my particular profile, it works. It's important to say, actually, that it's not necessarily going to work for everyone. Yeah, right. and I think I think that's a I think that's a very self aware and, and, and a correct statement. Like it sounds like you have very very good professionals helping you walk it through because, like as you know, if you're you know using metformin, you're pushing off. Well, metformin for the folks that aren't aware of it is a usually used as a diabetes drug. It helps control blood sugar. And I was looking at this as something interesting because in some longitudinal studies, people on metformin, even with diabetes, would live longer than healthy, normal people without using metformin, which is very interesting which from is a crazy, longevity. Right? Yeah, which is crazy, right? It's a sick person. diabetes is such a bad uh, disease, right? Yeah, and so a so. sick person on metformin lives longer than a normal, healthy person, which is interesting, yep. very interesting. But I think some of the downstream things that are somewhat concerning are that it may lower, you know, especially for men, to lower, it may lower some testosterone production. Yep. It might reduce some growth factors, which might not be amenable to certain use cases. Um, but it sounds like you also, you know, have that that self-awareness and the education to really understand that, okay, if I'm going to be depressing testosterone in this way, I'm going to sort of buff up on blockers of testosterone. I, I noticed that you uh, were, you know, were able to sort of elevate your testosterone levels from, you know, a little bit lower than, than what you'd wanted to something that's like sort of on the high range of normal, right? So I think it's like you were able to sort of mold all your metrics across hormones, across interventions, across compounds. And it's very, I think, very sophisticated. Yeah, and it's important to say that yeah. actually one of the most challenging things today for other, you know, our fellow biohackers, I think, is the monitoring 
aspect of things and the professional help because that is very expensive. Yeah. I mean, most of the money that I spend is really testing plus uh, plus doctors right. uh, because if you just um, take Clomid, the um, the uh, thing that I use to it's improve an estrogen my testosterone, blocker, right? So it's like estrogen yeah. blocker that sort of naturally elevates testosterone. It's essentially, so this is going to be a bit geeky, but this is a podcast for yeah. biohackers, right? Yeah. So the way this works is that uh, you have your pituitary gland produces FSH and LH, which are two hormones uh, that are then converted into testosterone, which is then converted into estrogen, which then goes to the pituitary and blocks the production of FSH and LH. And what I had after analyzing this entire cycle, I noticed that my testosterone was kind of, eh, you know, slightly below average. But uh, the FSH and LH precursors were very low. So I started taking a thing which essentially blocks um, at the pituitary receptors of estrogen. Right. And um, so it produces more FSH and LH. And in a reasonably safe way, because you're not kind of boosting any portion of the cycle in a crazy way, right. you just removed your biochemical bottleneck that, you know, for whatever reason yeah. you have. And that raised testosterone by about... Uh, free testosterone by about 81% in two months. And it, it, it actually, I noticed that that was a distinct improvement in my well-being. So I kind of noticed a lot more energy yeah. and essentially just better mood and, well, um, spent a lot more time looking at girls. But uh, <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, I, I'm not, you know, an endocrinologist or have looked at the pathways for hormones as deeply as other pathways. But I think that's, you know, that, that, you know, is a very powerful pathway. And I think that my understanding with people that have been playing with testosterone, yeah, you definitely feel like a boost of, of a figure, right? There's not no other like way to put it, right? Like that's definitely a huge, huge change. And again, that kind of thing, I mean, if you manage to improve that kind of um, uh, thing for yourself, and then it's going to be lifelong that right. you're going to be able to control this in some way. Right. That is a huge, huge gain to the overall enjoyment right. and productivity that you get out of your life. Yeah, and so. my understanding is that this pathway is especially helpful, I, I would say, or less risky than just taking exogenous testosterone directly, yeah. right? Oh, because yeah. this is like this is a self. This produce this is allows your body to endogenously produce testosterone yes but this is not like this is not, essentially it's not going to shrink your testicles is yeah, obviously another important uh, <laughs> a factor that i'm sure that you care about for optimizing longevity and happiness yeah. and all of that yeah you're, you're exactly right it's essentially you know signaling your body to produce more testosterone rather than just taking some yeah. exogenously yep. yeah what else is interesting? I mean, I think the lithium, the SSRIs, the MDMA is interesting. So obviously some of these compounds that we're talking about are either, uh, some of them are, are, are completely reasonable in supplements and, and, and foods. Uh, some are prescriptions, so you need to have a doctor that you're working with. And some are, you know, just scheduled, you know, compounds like MDMA. So if it's illegal in your country or territory, you know, please, uh, you know, don't break the law. But that, with that said, I'm curious. Uh, obviously, you know, I think with that caveat said, there's a lot of emerging research around MDMA being really promising as a therapeutic for PTSD, anxiety, and obviously from a subjective effect from, you know, recreational use. It, you know, most people will report that it is a very sociable, you know, feeling. I'm curious. So how how do you experiment and how do you introduce it into into your life in a, in a productive way? So I um, you know 
what I did is I wanted to be more extroverted. I'm naturally an introvert, so sometimes it's hard to kind of open conversations with uh, new people and empathize with people in uh, a good way, etc. I just felt that that was, uh, to some extent, uh, making my life less interesting and making it harder for me to maintain a network of relationships. And at some point, a friend of mine essentially uh, invited me together with a bunch of his friends to uh, try some uh, MDMA. And um, we did that. And um, the experience can be described as uh, several things. First of all, your inner voice uh, completely goes silent. So essentially, you don't have that self-narrative of, oh, what am I going to talk to Joff about uh, on yeah. the podcast tomorrow? Yeah. Or, oh, my God, yesterday I should have said this to Joff on the <laughs> podcast. Uh, yeah. that, that kind of thing. We think about those things all the time, and they kind of get us out of the moment. So that's one thing. Uh, another thing is that your um, uh, essentially all your social fears completely, completely vanish from small ones. Like, you know, when you're having a conversation, there's a pause in the conversation. You feel uncomfortable, you have to say something, etc. Uh, that's gone. Uh, people giving you feedback and you feeling defensive about it to protect your ego, that's gone. Um, I mean, essentially, put it this way, it, it feels really nice to touch people. And um, uh, at some point, you know, I was... Um, hugging a girl who was um, at uh, this um, event and, uh, you know, we, we just had this awesome conversation and then I kind of um, stopped, you know, this was like hour and a half and, and then I, I see her husband sitting right there and I'm like, dude, is it okay that I'm like, you know, uh, really intimately hugging your wife for the right. last hour and a half? And he's like, you know, um, well, no, yeah, it's okay. Well, actually, I was jealous but I felt like she was making your experience better and I didn't want to admit that uh, I was jealous. <laughs> so this kind of thing. Was he also on MDMA the, as well? Was, what? Yes, okay, yes, so everyone was, every, okay, every, okay. Yes. Yeah. And, and essentially, so uh, you pass, so you can take it a couple times in a row. So you take it, there's four hours of effect, you can take it again, uh, et cetera. And by the way, so there's a, a lot of important safety protocols. Right, the definitely sure diminishing effects. I mean, I think people that... yeah go to so, use so, it recreationally have pretty good sort of rule of thumbs you, you don't want to do that so 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 first of all you want to research safety um it's it's uh, you know you have to drink a lot of water for example but right. so the cool thing about my experience is that this whole experience of um uh you know this uh, kind of connection with other people and being completely open about your feelings it stayed after the mdma and it stayed for you know many months actually so afterwards, I found it easy to um, send a message to someone who I was a business partner with and we had a falling out and I wanted to restore the relationship. And I sent him a message saying that I admit that um, it was my fault to a significant extent and our relationship is important. Let's recover. Right. It's become much easier to, um, that's one example, it's become much easier to, you know, do things to do with sex. I mean, essentially, you know, I was with a girl and I was like, Hey, let's uh, tape some videos. And uh, she was like, "Oh, why didn't you? Why didn't you ask uh, before?" And I'm like, "I was shut." So, right. and uh, that kind of thing is also very. So you feel like that social embarrassment is gone. It's easy. So it's super easy for me to. I don't know if there's a cute girl in the elevator. I'll say, "Hey, you're cute." And uh, do you want to go grab coffee? And she says, "Oh no, I have a husband." I'm like, you know, that's cool. Okay, all right, have a nice evening. And right. I, I don't feel bad at all uh, about the experience, even though it's kind of like, oh, oh, she turned me down. Right. Uh, so that's interesting. So, so essentially, that, you, 
Yeah, that, that, that experience that, that was assisted with a compound really opened you up into a new behavioral context that you can just apply yes. without using the using the compound, which is which is awesome, right? Like you, it, it, I think I think that's like probably the, one of the most beneficial ways to use some of these interventions, right? Like you just experience a new state, and you realize that's possible. And if you have sort of the, the, the strong enough will and discipline, you can recreate that state without using a drug, which I think is a very, you know, right. thoughtful approach to do something and like this. Part of it, it's almost like coaching. So, you know, um, essentially your tennis coach takes you by the hands right. and the legs and makes the perfect swing a bunch of times and you find you enjoy it and you understand how to do it. Right. And then it's easy to, to, to do it again. Yeah. So that's, that's something that um, has been a very cool experience yeah that's 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 a great anecdote in in, in series there I, I know a lot of our community members in 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 we fast and in our fasting community are big you know you know big people you know big fasters big ketogenic diet uh, adherents um curious to hear your experience and journey there are you measuring your glucose ketone levels curious to hear about the diet side uh sure of your protocol sure so uh, the diet I try to adhere to is kind of ketogenic. So mostly, uh, pl- mostly plant uh, fats and more of a plant diet, but not entirely uh, plant-based. So I also eat uh, occasionally meat and you know a lot of um, salmon. So I try to go for a fairly keto-high diet. I don't measure ketones on a daily basis. I measure them occasionally, and I usually get fairly high glucose ketone, fairly good uh, glucose ketone ratio. So after a 16-hour fast, I'll probably get to three, three and a half millimolar of ketones and maybe three and a half to four of um, glucose. That's quite high. But you're eating pretty ketogenic. I eat not perfectly, actually. I think that part of it has to do with... um, with the fact that I also fast quite often. Okay. So I fast probably three or four times a week for 24 hours. Okay. So I just usually, there's many days where I feel like I don't want to eat until uh, the evening. So I essentially fasted for 24 hours. Right. I'm not religious about any of this. It depends on how I feel that particular day. But I found that fasting isn't just a healthy way of um, living. It also makes things more simple. So you don't have to spend time on uh, eating. Uh, And you actually do waste a lot of time if you eat three times a day. I find that I'm smarter and uh, less um, kind of, um, I I have less of an afternoon slump, like, you know, that feeling after lunch where you feel like you're not doing anything. So I don't have that um, at all, uh, essentially. Plus, uh, the food in the evening tastes really, really, really good. So that's the reason that I kind of um, like... uh, like fasting a lot and and one of the cool thing that's come out of it is i did this test called uh respiratory quotient which is uh you have a gas uh exchange mask like kind of what you do for vo2 max and it shows you what your body is burning in a steady state kind of a calm state when you're sitting and i found that so for me that marker is 0.71 which which means that i'm uh in steady state burning almost 100 percent and fat yep. and I actually switched to glucose only kind of around 150 heartbeats per, per, per minute and that's also correlated with a lot of beneficial things like low insulin resistance uh, essentially etc so I think I think actually so um, you know we started talking about the drugs and all of those more uh, sexy and interesting interventions but 
the largest thing you can do for help are, are more the basic uh, yep. things. And I would start really with actually with food and certainly with eliminating uh, dietary sugar, with eliminating processed foods and with eliminating kind of non-organic animal products. So. Absolutely. I think that's I think that's what I tell all the reporters and all the people that ask. Like, there's some low-hanging fruit. If you're, like, not exercising, if you're sleeping, like, two hours a day, and you're eating just junk food all the day, like, though, if you, like, just improve that, your life is going to markedly change. Like, there's just 100% guarantee that's, that's going to work. But if once you're there and you want to keep eking out more performance, then talk to folks like Serge and, and, and start geeking out about all, all the things you can do. But I, I agree. I, mean, I think the RQ quotient is a really nice biometric that it shows that you're fully in a fat burning state because i think a lot of people in our community will ask oh like am i doing keto right um i'm eating or i'm fasting but they're not really measuring the outcomes and i think that's a very important part of biohacking it's not just doing stuff it's about measuring it as well and i think like yeah uh, an rq of 0.7 is like very very good i mean if you're just starting to burn glucose at 150 bpm i mean that's that's pretty high heart rate so that's that's that, that I mean that suggests that you'll be pretty good at like long distance running because if you can keep your heart rate below 150, you're completely you running run fat. You're not generating any lactic acid. You're just cruising. I mean, yeah. are you doing like long endurance running and all of that, or are you doing mostly high intensity interval training? So I used to actually. It's, it's really funny. I I used to run. Um, long distance endurance yeah. uh, since I was probably 14 or 15 years old and all the way through to my 27% body fat. So, and um, I think now that long distance endurance running and long distance endurance exercises of any kind are not really that useful. So we've discussed this with my doctors at length and mm -hmm. the conclusion seemed to be that you really only want to do two things um, if uh, in exercise. One is high intensity interval training of some sort. So uh, I do essentially you know a bunch of hits uh runs outside usually or sometimes on the treadmill if it's too bad uh outside and it's just you know 15 20 minutes uh, and you get a lot of benefit from it and right. the other bit is um heavy hip hinge uh exercises in the gym and this is also something that's a very cool insight when you do things like deadlifts or leg press or squats you're loading a large set of very large muscles yeah. that are far away from your heart. So you have to pump through a lot more nutrients through the system um, than if you just do some biceps curls. Right. Uh, so essentially, just the yield of metabolic benefits, of hormone benefits per rep of exercise is vastly greater. So you yeah. really want to focus on, on, on that. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I, I think, for, I'm curious, like for myself, I think I... I I go back and forth in terms of just mixing hit training and, and powerlifting with endurance. Because I think that like if you have a limited amount of time, probably doing hit is the most efficient yield. But my sense is that you want to build up a strong aerobic base as well. If you can run for three hours and burn through your glycogen stores, I think you do both if you can do both. But obviously mm -hmm. running for three hours takes a lot more time than like yeah. doing hit for 20 minutes. Fair enough. I, yeah. I haven't um, I haven't done that recently, but yeah. um, I, I think in general running is enjoyable. You know, it's just like a nice meditation almost. Yeah. So I'm there with you to do it uh, right. to do it occasionally just for fun and to kind of diversify your yeah. exercise routine. Yeah, yeah. Because I think that there's some literature that uh, 
we should I should bring that up, but uh, suggesting that you know like long aerobic exercises in the aerobic range are beneficial for longevity and increasing BDNF, but that might just be related to ketone production because a lot of these pathways end up overlapping. So you might be able to replicate some of those findings with heavy hit, and you start burning through all your glycogen. By, by by doing hits and then you get into into ketotic state anyways so I think it is sort of an interesting area of ex- exploration whether you would just do just hit just endurance or a mix of both my sense right. of that of probably a mix of both triggering heavy heavy loads and then lighter loads over a longer period of times seems to be you know covering all bases but I think if yeah. you want to be strictly efficient on time sounds like yeah 20 minutes of hit like people out there that aren't doing that you'd be like oh i could definitely you know sprint for two minutes at a time with like 50 second breaks no you will if you do it right you will be like throwing up if you like close to throwing up. yeah yeah exactly so you want to feel sick at the end of this and by the way so one interesting thing that i noticed is that um so my vo2 max in particular has gone quite high specifically what is your vo2 max it's like over 70 uh, which is very, very high. It, it, that's so 70? high that usually okay. seven, uh, seven zero, yeah. Oh, seven um, liters. Seven zero. Yeah. Seven, yeah. It's it's based on uh, liters, right? I think that was. No, no, no. It's uh, milliliters per kilogram of body weight. Okay. Um, but uh, usually it's actually I'm not like I don't have any athletic achievements whatsoever. But that's um, a VO2 max that's close to kind of like Olympic athletes. And I did not have that before I started doing a lot of hit. Yeah. Uh, it, it, in fact, it's so high that people usually think I'm lying about this. And I have to like post screenshots of these, uh, uh, you know, crazy tests. Yeah, no, that's rock. interesting because I was talking to, and I was seeing some of the results from our research lead, who's a double world champion rower. She's a woman, so she's actually going to have a smaller VO2 max. But I think she was saying that she was around 4.0 or 4.1. So, I think you're, we're just measuring in slightly and, different. Yeah, I believe yeah. it's liters. So if you convert her body weight or your body weight. In, in, yeah, in, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. So you divide that, uh, yeah, something like that. Yeah, okay. Anyway, it, yeah. it doesn't matter. But, but it seems like VO2 max is an interesting metric for uh, kind of measuring um, measuring uh, your overall fitness of uh, your body and your kind of cardio and yeah. along system. So. Yeah, so for folks that don't know what VO2 max is essentially a measure of how much oxygen your body can uptake. So the more you can sort of uptake, theoretically, you can spend that more. And obviously, for you know, oxygen is a required substrate for aerobic metabolism. I mean, that's why we breathe. We need oxygen to, to fuel our brain and body. Um, that's it. I mean, it's also interesting from not just from a enhancement perspective, but you were able to also, you know, look at something like mercury and realize that, hey, you're, you're kind of, you know, dosing up on mercury, which is, you know, bad for cognition and, and, and we're correcting for that. Now, how many things, you know, in, in your exploration over the last five years, how many things would you say would be focused on enhancement? How many th- would you say are focused on essentially like a like a therapeutic? Um, well, see, I actually don't think there's much of a difference. Uh, because I agree. Um, I agree. I think it's a false dichotomy. It, it is. I think it, this is something, this is a great phrase from Yuval Harari's book, Homo Deus, which I highly recommend. But he essentially argues that uh, medicine is upgrading uh, and not healing. and the, Or that rather than healing and upgrading are the same uh, yeah. thing. So let me give you an example. Uh, I... Um, uh, you know, I have vision that is better than 2020 uh, in terms of just reading those eye charts. 
But I wear glasses that still give some level of correction, and it gets me down to, I think, uh, either 2013 or 1320. I, I can't remember how they go, uh, which way around they go. And that essentially is improving me over some baseline, which uh, someone uh, in their wisdom has defined as the human average standard. Yeah. So um, there, medicine has upgraded me to an above human uh, level. Right. And, I, and you can do this with a lot of things. I, I usually wear hearing aids, even though my hearing isn't that bad. I mean, maybe it's a little worse than the average person. And I tune those. And, and there's really cool hearing aids out there now. Uh, like there's ones that are Bluetooth that have that are invisible that um, you can through your iPhone change from you know lecture hall mode to nightclub mode that filter out human voice from background noise with machine learning techniques. That's interesting. I want to look into that. So yeah, you, you have any cool stories? Awesome. Yeah, do you have um, any cool stories for like people were talking behind your back and you're like, Wah. or any any funny stories about like that? I mean, uh, not something as, um, you know, strange <laughs> as that. But yeah. uh, what happened is when I started wearing it, I actually noticed that there are some things which I've never heard before in my life, like things like the rustling of like a particular plastic bag or some silly things like that, uh, that I started noticing. I'm like, whoa, I haven't ever heard that before in my life. So, and it's, it was the same with glasses, actually. So you suddenly are like, whoa, so those edges are slightly more beautiful than I thought. Yeah, so it just makes your life, yeah. it, it just makes your life a little bit um, better. And uh, there's a lot of cool technology that's coming out. I think uh, one of the manufacturers of hearing aids is also manufacturing small little microphones that you can put, for example, around your apartment and you can have stereo hearing of your entire house when you're inside there. I'm not sure how you don't go crazy because yeah. that's must be such a weird experience. But <laughs> yeah. this is just an example of uh, the kind of technology. And uh, with time, I, I think a lot of uh, what I believe is that um, with time, this is all going to give huge, huge social advantages to people who exploit those technologies. Right. So let me give you a couple of examples that are fictional, but that I would love to pay for if someone created them. Maybe someone... Uh, hearing this will. Yeah. One is just, um, you know, there, there are those continuous glucose monitoring tools. Uh, so like Dexcom and Libra, I know you guys are, uh, are fans. Yeah. Um, if someone created a C essentially a CGM for testosterone and um, combined it with a pump uh, for testosterone that is implanted and allowed you to control your testosterone in real time, ideally also from an app on your phone, where let's say that you want to be aggressive in a negotiation when you're talking to someone yep. and 15 minutes before you're like more aggressive yep. and uh, that turns up the uh, testosterone or, you know, whatever before sex um, or you turn it down before uh, you want to go to sleep. Yeah. So, uh, so that I would pay a lot of money for. And uh, from what I understand, particular in particular with the testosterone molecule is quite possible. Um, another example this is um, uh, going to sound kind of uh, almost creepy, but um, so there's fairly good technologies out there for analysis of voice and faces. Um, in particular, for voice, uh, there are technologies already that analyze whether the person is angry or happy, Detecting tells, detecting lies, detecting uh, uncomfortableness. Yes, exactly. So they, now they use it in just like call centers for right. analyzing sentiment, customer sentiment. But if you could go around 
with a little microphone slash camera somewhere um, and a bunch of little uh, vibrating electrodes or something somewhere on your shoulder working on the cochlear implant principle where if you send the body a consistent signal, it learns to associate it with a certain right. uh, thing. And then have that camera and microphone detect uh, the faces that come in front of you, detect their emotions, detect when people get upset, detect when their pulse goes much higher, because you can actually do that with a good enough um, camera and yeah, infrared, right? You can see, you can see the blood pulsing. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So you could have, it's almost like it would be a distinct enhancement of your emotional intelligence, your IQ, EQ, because you would instantly be able to understand a little bit when you're per, you're, um, the person you're talking to is lying or when you said something that made them uncomfortable. Or you can or read when micro you expressions, right? You can exactly. hear quivers in the voice. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and uh, that kind of thing would give a huge advantage because, I mean, this uh, so much of human society and of business is based on kind of a level playing field in terms of those things. And once you can do this, you, you gain more resources that you can then reinvest into um, doing more and more and more of these, um, of these things. No, I, I think that's, that's really awesome because I remember – I've been. I was thinking about similar things. Like, what if you had contact lenses that was able to read micro expressions, and then have that as like a dashboard? He's like forty percent uncomfortable, sixty percent untruthful. Yeah. That's super interesting, right? And, and I think that is an, an inevitable technology. And then riffing off of your first point, I think that's like the holy grail of biohacking. You have continuous feedback loops, right? Like we can manipulate computers very, very precisely. You know, you want more RAM chips, you can. You know, talk to Amazon, spin up an additional you know box. Yep. Why can't we do that with our human inputs? Why can't we do it with, with testosterone? As this one example, uh, I, I think that that the, I, I think it stands to reason that that will exist in the future. Like, of course, and yeah. and you have to also recognize that the things we do right now with biohacking are actually so primitive yeah. to what's really going on inside the body. You know, some guy goes and does. Uh, a test at best, you know, maybe four times a year. Yep. And maybe that night he was stressed or slept a little uh, yeah. worse, etc. And there's so much noise in the data. But the cool thing about CGM is that it really gamifies uh, your whole life experience. And I'd love to see a lot more uh, proteins that can be analyzed that way in real time and actions taken uh, on them. That's going to be a very big advantage. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think I think that you see some pickup in the media with articles around biohackers in Silicon Valley, which I know I've been a, a part of a lot of those discussions. But I, I I think it's early. I think people think it's half snake oil, half maybe speculative. Like what is the you know real performance metrics? But I think when people like kind of see your results, I, I think you have like very very strong data on your personal biometrics. And I think as these technologies get more prevalent people speak up more about it you will see just different performances over time right like if you just have n equals five of biohackers yeah like it's hard to tease out whether you know maybe search you're maybe just a smart person in general maybe you would have made a billion dollars regardless of all your biohacking but there's a thousand of people doing you know n equals one personal experience like yourself and yeah. 990 of you are billionaires okay, this is something that's really freaking real, right? I think that's the tipping point when it's like, oh, maybe Serge is just a smart guy. Maybe Jeff is just like a really good, pers smart person. And he's just successful because he's just naturally smart. 
then biohacking was kind of like an add-on. Once the tips were like, hey, these are just you know, is a con- very significant contributing factor to success. I think that will, you know, shit hits the fan. It's like very real now. I think partially the challenge is just uh, the fact that uh, our biology is um, uh, of great complexity. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's really, really hard. Like y- there's no doctor out there, even the most sophisticated doctors who can really tell you, hey, here's the magic thing you have to do, which is going to be perfect for you. You actually, at this point, really have to dig in and understand it yourself. And not everyone just has, I don't know, the inclination, the time, the um, ability to focus for a long period of time on an unfamiliar subject to really dig into this. So I agree. I I think, but I think that people like yourself, People like you know what you know what we do at Human. I think we are making it easier for people to understand, right? Like, I think you really have a good template. Like, it's like these are some of the key biometrics that you should look at, and here are some interventions that have worked for myself. Like, you kind of spent you know a lot of time debugging your own process to some interesting results. I think my sense is that yes, as any early you know early phase, there will be people exploring and doing some crazy stuff. People might hurt themselves, and it's probably likely if you're just doing all sorts of crazy stuff. But I think you, you're you're actually very thoughtful, and it sounds like you have some good professional medical advisors advising you on it. And I think that's like a good pathway for people to look at yeah. and follow. And, and it was surprising that um, this is actually so the article i wrote um uh became actually a lot more popular than than i thought it would be so about two hundred thousand people have read yeah. uh the uh article uh we actually so uh we posted a russian translation on the russian version of TechCrunch yeah. uh, yesterday and their site crashed from the traffic because um it got picked up by like the um, uh, radio talk shows etc <laughs> So that was that was kind of funny. That's awesome. So uh, everyone's gonna yeah. be like copying your protocol now. I mean, I think no, it is. It is. I think it's a very good protocol. And I remember doing a similar protocol myself, doing my urine, saliva, uh, stool, urine test. I, I I think it's like, I, and we got like thousands of you know tens of thousands of views on that as well. I I think it, it is a sign that like people care about this stuff, right? Like yeah. I think it is, like, you know, the two hundred thousand people that read your article, let's say one percent of them, two thousand, you know. 2,000 of them are going to try that's some of lot. this stuff. Yeah. And that's a lot of people doing a lot of experiments and, now. And I, I actually found that, um, so I've given talks um, at uh, my company before and to some tech entrepreneurs yeah. in Russia. I actually found there was a quite a high percentage of people then started trying to uh, to do something. And that's a really nice feeling because, you know, Jeff, what you're doing and uh, what I'm doing, it, it helps some people become healthier. Maybe some of them will catch some kind of cancer earlier. Right. Uh, uh, early on and be able to right. cure it yeah. or they will be able to just make a change that makes uh, their life better so that's a very cool uh, feeling and yeah. i think it's great that you guys are doing uh, a lot to to edu- educate people yeah absolutely uh, about this. I, the way one thing i think about it i think this is like a populist revolution within healthcare i think you were just saying that the existing healthcare is mm-hmm. like fucked up right like i think you, especially in america there's Obamacare, trump care people want to repeal this and that like i, I you know politics aside I, you know no one even knows what the hell is going on but no one's like really happy with it and i think what we're doing is we're empowering people to understand and take control of their own health and their own performance in their own hands and i think with yeah, sensors with data people can actually do that yeah and and, and also uh, you know if uh, part of the problem you know we kind of blame the insurance company and the doctors on right. this uh, podcast but 
Uh, part of the problem is that uh, sick people mostly go to the doctors. People don't really think about their health until um, they have a problem. Right. And that's the reason why doctors are, you know, uh, when you come in with very suboptimal metrics, but they're like, oh, this is nothing like all the people who have like a triple bypass surgery that I see <laughs> on a daily basis. Yeah, you're really, fine. Yeah, like, yeah you're not you're actually fine. fine. I actually, so it, it, it's, this is funny. I, I went, before I really got into biohacking, I went to a doctor and said, hey, doctor, I noticed that my mercury level is really elevated. And he was like, well, I'm not sure what to do with that. Uh, well, you don't have any symptoms. Like, if your hair starts falling out, you should come back. But, like, now I don't think you should. Like, what? Yeah. I don't want fucking hair to fall out. Yeah. So, I don't know. That, that's, that, that seems silly, right? It's like, yeah, wait until, like, you have your arm broken and then come back. It's like, no, no, let's prevent that. Absolutely. And also, also, let's keep in mind that the three key classes of diseases that people actually die from, so atherosclerosis, cancer, and neurodegenerative disease, these are all lifelong processes. Yep. These are not one-time events. Yep. So by the time, uh, well, actually, so uh, the reason I, uh, and I think you, uh, do uh, all this stuff with ketogenic, etc., is that we know there are cancer cells in our bodies, even though we're kind of in our 30s or uh, you know, pretty young, right. uh, there are cancer cells appearing every day yep. in, in our bodies. And then it's just a continuous lifelong statistical uh, process. And by the time you have symptoms, the system is kind of rotten. It's, it's, it's impossible to fix yeah. in, in some respects. So preventative medicine really is the only way to handle these uh, metabolic lifelong disorders. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, and we had, we, had, we had Thomas Siegfried who's one of the leading proponents around a metabolic theory of cancer on our show, and, and he speaks a lot towards that. Um, I'm curious from the, the transparency side. So I think that's an interesting, uh, uh, I guess, personality hack that you wanted to install with, with all your biometric hacking. I'm curious, uh, how did you come to that decision? Like, I think it is very brave and open to talk about your sex life and and in, in all your you know crazy you know hardcore fairly personal biometrics i'm curious why why that approach so uh, i think it started with just um seeing how good it felt on mdma to be honest with people and yeah. not have those games that we usually play with yeah. each other and the mask that you wear to other people and then uh, i started just noticing other people doing the same things all the time, you know, when they put up their awesome Instagram photo, and then you see in the restaurant how that person is spending like 25 or 30 minutes yeah. perfectly trying to catch the yeah. uh, the angle and uh, make themselves look happy to their online audience. Yeah. Um, so it started with that. But then I, I read this awesome book by Sam Harris, uh, who has an amazing uh, podcast uh, that I highly recommend, um, called Lying where he made an argument, a very persuasive argument, that you should always tell the truth at all times, except fantastic situations like Nazis coming to your door looking for Anne Frank, which never really happened to anyone in real life. Right. And he was saying that, hey, if, you, uh, if your friend asks you, do I look fat in this dress, and she does, you owe it to her to say, yes, you do. And actually, she will trust your opinion more in the future if um, you have said something that no other person would actually 
uh, say that everyone else would would, would lie about. Right. Uh, or you know, your kids will uh, lose trust in you if you tell them that Santa Claus is real, and then they discover that he's not. not right. uh, they will say like, what what else has he been lying to me about? Yeah, he's not so, reliable uh, anymore. Yeah. yeah, he's not reliable anymore. And essentially, uh, I started thinking and I realized that I lie a lot about like super silly things uh, sometimes like, you know, I don't want to go somewhere. And instead of saying, hey, dude, I'm just tired and I don't feel like going, I'm going to be, you know, a bad sport. I just invent something about how I have like, uh, you know, a food poisoning. So uh, just because it feels easier uh, right. that, that way. And I've done a lot of uh, like just things where I would I would lie about things, some more major. I mean, at one point in life, I, I lied about being one year younger because I wanted to uh, look more cool to other people. I achieved more by like a particular uh, a particular age. Yeah. And none of these things made my life better in in, in any way. Right. And I was um, having dinner with a friend uh, last night. And I, you know, we, we discussed this and then he and I both told each other some things about our personalities that we found problematic um, and uh, annoying. And uh, we wouldn't have done that if we didn't have this kind of radical transparency discussion. And it's yeah. helping me. It's helping him. And it also feel, makes you feel that your relationship with people is, um, uh, is, is just closer. I think that's then, I, I think it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I, I, I think you, you're actually learning faster, right? If people, if you can give yes. blunter feedback and people are giving you blunter feedback, that's how you actually learn and adapt and improve. Absolutely. And then on, on sex, I mean, this is such a, um, an annoying kind of area of life in terms of how society uh, treats it. Because, yeah. um, you know, society just keeps saying that, like, everything's embarrassing about it. And actually, sex is such a large part of the algorithm of evolution. <laughs> That it's not surprising that it's a large part of our mental health and that we spend, I mean, I spend a lot of time every day thinking about it. Yeah, for both men and women, right? Like, I'm like, yeah. like, I think it is, yeah, it is like a silly thing to realize that, like, hey, people feel uncomfortable talking about it, but it, yes, there's like attractive people that one would, you know, find sexual interest in, like, in, in this universe. I mean, we, in some levels, are programmed as organisms to do that. Yes, of course. Yeah. And also, I just noticed that some of my friends who are very close and who kind of, you know, are um, free to share intimate things with me, you know, they, they just say, hey, you know, like, I love my wife, but I want to have sex with other women. So either I cheat and I feel bad about, um, you know, breaking trust with someone who you're supposed to have trust with, or I'm sexually frustrated. So and uh, I just kind of said to myself at, at some point, you know, fuck this. So I uh, feel like you know, the, there's an important thing to be like super open with uh, this um, as well. And that way it's not as embarrassing. No one can come to you with like a political revelation someday that this guy is like, you know, sleeping with someone um, because it's already out in the open. Yeah. You, you might as well be. And, and it also is much more, you know, you discover cool people who are saying, hey, I'm totally in agreement with you uh, <laughs> and, and into this. So yeah. you just, it's more authentic. It's nicer to live life that way. And I think it's more mentally healthy. I agree. I think if you're telling the truth, you have one story to tell. If you have a lot of lies going on, you're, you're making your, your, your life complicated by having like a set story for set circumstances. So I agree. Yeah. I, I, I think 
you know, I, I think we can all, I would say we could all ascribe to be closer and closer to the truth, right? You're just making your own life simpler. Um, yeah. One of the, my favorite phrases in which um, I've heard this described was essentially kind of, you want your private self and your public self to be as close to each other as, that's, as possible. That's so like no a truly self-actualization. Like you are presenting yeah. yourself truly to the world. Yeah, exactly. I want to move into some audience questions. Um, Eli Quinton asks, what do you think about adding implants? So we had Neil Harbison on recently and he had, he's a guy with an antenna that detects uh, different wavelengths of light. So he's colorblind, but he can sense and through, through vibration, you know, infrared to ultraviolet to different colors of visible light. Um, is that something you're, you're interested in? I mean, it sounds like a lot of your things are sort of endogenous compounds, but it doesn't sound like you have done too much well, with implants. Not too much, but um, I've been thinking about it a lot. And actually, my question is, so obviously, because of the neuroplasticity of the human brain, you can, um, uh, you know, you can add any sense you want, as long as you have an external sensor, right. and you have some kind of electric impulse that transduces it into your nervous system. Right. So uh, the question is, what senses are going to be useful, right? So is it useful to have an altitude sensor? Probably not. Yeah, I think is it's it a useful? game. Yeah. So, so my biggest, the biggest uh, thing I thought of was that it would be useful to have things that give you an advantage in society. And these things are mostly to do, mostly social in nature. And that's actually how I came up with the idea of, hey, let's have the facial and voice analysis uh, sense, because that kind of just gives you a better uh, sense of um, just kind of almost a subconsciously better sense uh, of emotional intelligence, of what the other person is saying, of empathy. Yeah. Um, or or mind reading if you want to go the creepy dystopian right. uh, interpretation. So I think that's uh, I think there's a lot of interesting implants uh, stories that are going to happen right now. It seems like it's mostly people tinkering with just cool stuff. Um, I think I read about a guy who had magnets implanted into his fingertips so he could detect electrical fields yeah, like it's a wires bit in the wall. A little bit gimmicky. I think yeah, that's gimmicky. I, I just. Yeah, the question is, hey, what's going to be very useful for our um, everyday life? I think it's got to be either enhancing our own senses, so things that, uh, like um, really awesome uh, hearing aids. I think there's going to come – actually, everyone's hearing compared to the baseline uh, when the baseline was established, which was like 150 years ago right. when the field of audiology started. Everyone's hearing is depressed. Um, so – Essentially, you're actually, by using hearing aids, you're kind of coming back to the normal uh, human level of, of hearing. And, uh, you know, there's there's obviously you know, other senses that you could potentially attach. There's whatever gets data to your brain faster yeah. uh, from, from the Internet. And then I think a lot of the future is in CGM-like devices that monitor various uh, proteins in your blood. And that take actions and decisions uh, automatically uh, on that basis. So it feels like that whole part is just getting started, but there's a lot of potential. Yeah, I agree. I think that's that's similar to how I think I think about it. There's a lot of gimmicks and art projects, and I think that that will really become mainstream or interesting to someone like myself. When it's like, hey, I, I only want to implant something into my body if it's gonna give me some distinct 
an enhancement advantage. Otherwise, yeah. like I can, I can use a wearable. I can use something, a temporary implant or something to like have a have a nice toy or have a nice gimmick. But until it's like a distinct advantage I want for an extended period of time, then let's get the technology there. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Conrad Utterback asks, "What is the most important nootropic in your opinion?" I noticed that in your supplements list, you have some components that that form some of our nootropic stacks like rise you have bacopa maniri so so you have using some of the things in our nootropic stacks i'm curious what uh what has been the most helpful for yourself uh so um let's let's say that nootropic is about um increasing your intelligence correct and intelligence is the ability to solve complex problems yeah so i, I feel like uh, whatever gives you the ability to focus and work um, better on solving problems. And I think for me, that's modafinil. Uh, and I've taken Adderall for for a long time as well, but it has some undesirable uh, side effects. Like it, it makes you too tunnel visiony and yeah. a, a little too anxious for, for, for my liking. Right. Uh, modafinil, I think, is the number one. And then I also think of... Um, Lithium and um, uh, SSRI as um, uh, nootropics um, as well, even though they don't meet the classical uh, definition. Right. Lithium makes you calmer and more stress resistant, which effectively allows you to concentrate better. And that effectively right. allows, you know, that's uh, effective intelligence. Right. Plus, there's a lot of evidence that lithium is actually um, causing neurogenesis, that huh. lithium is has nice... Uh, positive effects on on the brain. So yeah. uh, one of my doctors used to be a neurobiologist at uh, Stanford, and uh, he was saying that they actually used lithium to treat people with brain damage. And they saw, uh, and it wasn't there wasn't like a lot of published material around this, but that they saw improvement in um, neurogenesis of brain damaged uh, patients. Hmm. And then uh, escitalopram, the SSRI I use. It also kind of, it just makes your mood, makes everything a little bit better every day. And so you're just, it's easier to motivate yourself to uh, to uh, work. You don't have bad uh, days, etc. So I think of those as nootropics as well. The general stack of uh, supplements, the more classic supplements like Bacopa Manieri, I, uh, I started so many of those at once because I, I was just like, at some point, I was just like, Hey, I'm going to go on examine.com and find everything that right. I think is, is interesting. Right. And um, I, I do feel like there's been a, an improvement, but I don't have the uh, attribution. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, I think uh, yes, if you're doing like you're adding 20 variables at once, it's hard to tease out what, what is working or what is not. Yeah. But yeah, but I think that some of the things that I think have the strongest data and what we've seen work in, in our customers, I think you have some of them like like Bacopa within your stacks, which is yeah. cool. That, that's certainly very well supported. Yeah. I think in, in my um, post, I also listed kind of uh, my doctor's uh, research team essentially went through a lot of um, data and they listed, we kind of listed at the top the ones that um, are the most data. To have the, right. yeah, yeah, the best best support yeah. and Bacopa was one of them. Generally, I think the recommendations that, that you guys give are, are excellent. Yeah, so. no, appreciate that. Cool. Um, any other points? I mean, I think that's a really interesting conversation covering a broad gamut of things. I think it is interesting to hear your personal journey as an entrepreneur looking to optimize yourself to, and then, and then go on this like sort of virtuous feedback cycle to become even more effective, to have even more sort of wealth and access to be even more effective and eventually 
hopefully living forever and, and, and being a part of this singularity future that uh that a lot of people are, are sort of hypothesizing will happen um yeah. I, love the, I i think that you know i think a lot of our people are going to be super interested in, in hearing this and i i'm sure that we'll get you back on the show because i think zill like i think we'll, we'll probably see a lot of interesting feedbacks and questions and like hey what, yeah. what do you think about this and that and that so we'll get the link of that blog post it's a great post very very thorough in terms of the blood measures the urine measures all the different measures that one could even want to do more money than you can spend on all these tests and then some interventions um and then I think just the added disclaimer, some of the things that we talked about, you know, do require doctor's prescriptions or are just, you know, you know, you know, problematic to, to, to hold in, in, in possession in certain jurisdictions. So be careful about that. Uh, until next time, it's great to have you on the show, Serge. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed the show. Thanks for taking the time. And really, I think the takeaway message should be just uh, that, um, you know, human enhancement is not the distant future it's already here uh now you can take advantage of it and uh, become uh you know better yourself in in a variety of ways and i also think that um, people should be paying attention to it as a social concern because uh, it has a much greater potential for inequality than kind of the hot topic issues of the day like you know gender pay disparity i mean i i'm, I'm all for uh, people fighting for gender pay equality, but that's nothing compared to what the world will look like if there are going to be some people who are very enhanced and a lot of people who uh, cannot catch up. And, and that's a world that's coming very, very, very soon. Anyway, uh, so thanks for having me on this uh, podcast. It was awesome to meet you over video and, you know, we'll meet we'll in, person in person at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Thank you guys. Cool. All right. Cheers. Yeah. Awesome. And as always, subscribe, follow us on at human. We're on YouTube, SoundCloud, Facebook, uh, Google Play, iTunes, any other channels we're, we're, we're missing. As always, it's great to have questions uh, for our guests. Please, please do ping us on that. Uh, awesome discussion. I'm excited to have and, and catch up with Serge again. Cheers. See you next time.